Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. So it's times like this, I actually wish that the podcast could be more interactive because I'm really wondering how everyone is doing out there. This definitely is not easy. For you parents with toddlers and infants, I think it must be especially hard. So my thoughts are really with all of you right now. And that's actually also why I started the private Facebook chats on Sunday for the members And we just had our first one this last Sunday. I thought it was uh, really fun and got some good member feedback. So I'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. But just to kind of share with other parents what's happening right now and what we all might be dealing with is, you know, it's definitely mentally taxing for sure. You know, a few weeks ago for me, uh, three weeks ago, was easier because the kids were on quote unquote spring break. So at least the pressure of making sure we guide them through the schoolwork was completely off. We still had some catch up work from the prior week because we hadn't quite gotten into a great groove and didn't really understand everything that was required. So we had to catch some of that up. But 
now I'm back to running the house, the website, the podcast, keeping the kids moving forward. And I totally appreciate everything the teachers are doing. They're really amazing. They're doing an amazing job. But I just, um, you know, want to share with you what I've been going through just so that you know that I understand the strain that parents are under. And for some, the strains and stresses are going to be different, but we're all going through some real hard stuff. We're trying to manage our own emotions for ourselves, but also keep ourselves in check for our kids so we don't ratchet up their emotions because they're struggling too. We know they feed off of us. We know if we get too stressed, we could more easily lose our patience with them and they're already struggling. So it could just be this crazy spiral. So we're just trying to keep everything in check. We know they're wanting us to do things they used to and they don't fully understand or even understand at all, depending on their age, if they're really little, why they can't. For me, there's a few things that I am, have been struggling with off and on, especially the school. You know, again, the teachers in the school have really done amazing at rolling this out and moving us forward and readjusting things that are working or not working. And they have their own challenges with all the distance and the technology, too. But we had a thing where right after spring break, the night before spring break ended, they changed the schedule and they sent it at 10 p.m. the night before they started up again. And then they had some of the classes overlapping. My, so my daughter missed her PE class because the class meeting was overlapping that. They didn't get it all sorted out. Um, they went back to school on a Tuesday instead of a Monday. So some of the teachers got confused. They thought it was Monday. I think we've all lost track of what day it is sometimes. So then they didn't show up for their classes. For me, like printing out assignments, scanning, updating, setting it up to the site, in addition to walking them through, checking their work, just a lot. We're all under a lot of stress right now. So, you know, we're trying to get through one day, one week at a time. So because last week was just so crazy, getting back into the swing of things with the new school schedule after spring break and the kids back into it, I just wasn't able to get the podcast out. So I apologize for that. And I really wanted to, and I started to get it going and I just couldn't make it happen. And then over the weekend, of course, did the uh, meeting, private meeting with the members. And so just some new things I'm rolling out and I just wasn't able to get the podcast out. And you'd think that the relief in some areas of not driving kids all over for activities would even it out, but it just doesn't seem to be doing that. My schedule is all thrown off. I try to get as much food delivered to the house as possible. I try to keep things rotating and keep them going. You know, these delivery times sometimes are like three weeks out or there's no delivery times available. It seems like I have to order so far ahead. The cupboards are bare half the time, at least for snacks. We seem to have plenty of fruits and veggies and, and meats, which is great, but the snacks just seem to keep running out. So it's just a lot of balls to keep in the air. So Whatever stresses you're under and the changes you're still trying to get used to or manage, I think we all are too. I am too. I wasn't planning on going on about this for quite this long because I do have a couple questions I am going to answer today. Quickly, I also want to point out, I feel like there are some real positives that are coming out of this. I know for me and my kids there have been, and I think for a lot of us, we're going to appreciate the mundane of daily life so much more. Seeing our friends, giving a hug, going to the store, going out to eat, going to the hairdresser. I know I will relish those experiences when they begin to open back up again. The gym. I miss the gym. So those will hopefully 
be something we will really appreciate for a long time to come. But if you're really struggling as a parent right now, remember that I did just create the private Facebook group. This past Sunday, we had our first weekly chat. It went really well, answered a lot of questions. Great parents out there. I had a great, it was just really nice to see the faces, talk with some of the parents, and I even got to see some of the kids, which made what I do so much more real for me and more personal, and I really enjoyed doing that. So thank you to our first small group of, I think there were six of us, on that, which was just a really great, nice, intimate group. And I know it'll grow over time and we'll probably split it up and do smaller groups and move the times around. So we'll have some different groups at different times on different weeks. But I just thought that was a really, um, I thought it went really well and I had a good time kind of getting used to the technology and seeing myself on the screen. But if you could really use that, you wanna be sure to sign up at the website at yourvillageonline.com for one of the memberships. And then you can email Amy, which is amy at yourvillageonline.com to get added to the Facebook group. So this question, one of the questions that came in this week, I wasn't gonna answer because it's about a daycare drop-off. And I know it's really not relevant to most of us right now, but then I thought, I don't know if this mom, Alanud, who asked the question is an essential worker. She could be an essential worker. She could still be going through this. Plus, once we do get back to doing drop-offs, there's gonna be a lot of younger kids that are going to be dealing with a lot of separation anxiety kicked up a lot more than before because they've been home so long with families so connected and this is going to be a whole new thing families are going to be struggling with so I'm going to go ahead and answer it here today for those who are still doing drop-offs that are having who are out at jobs where they still have some daycare drop-offs that they're dealing with and then for when parents are going back to work and are going to have to drop off kids or going to be dealing with a lot of separation anxiety most likely. So Alan Nude wrote, hi Erin, I'm an all-time listener and I find your podcast and website very resourceful and, I, and it has helped us go through a lot of hurdles in our parenting journey. So thank you very much. My question is about my three-year-old son. He has been going to daycare since he was almost two and we did face some challenges at first, but nothing beyond normal. Recently, he got moved to the preschool class and he started to hate going to school. At first, I thought this is normal and part of the transition. However, he has been in the class for almost three months now and he still hasn't transitioned very well. He stops saying, I don't want to go to school, but asks for a ton of hugs before he enters the class. Usually, it takes over 10 minutes and then the teacher has to come to persuade him to enter or gently hold his hand and guide him toward the door while he's crying. I'm not sure how to work around this because it's really tiring and takes a lot of unnecessary drama in the morning for everyone. I usually give him a big hug and say, okay, have a nice day. I'll see you after school. And then he will ask for another hug. I'll give him another hug, but I'll say, okay, I'll give you a hug, but that's the last one, okay? He will say, okay, but then ask for another one and so on. This process will go on until I give up and ask the teacher to take him in and leave while he's crying. I don't understand the underlying reason behind this behavior, but would love for him to be more confident and enter his class without a problem. I'm also afraid that leaving him crying behind and not giving him the hugs he asked for will hurt him emotionally in the long run. I appreciate any thoughts and tips. Thanks. So the good news is that I can keep this answer shorter because I actually just answered another question about separation anxiety in the last episode. So a lot of this, the, the basics, the background, you can go back, it applies exactly to this situation. So you can go back to last week's episode if you didn't listen to that one. You'll definitely want to go back to that. But I'm going to take some time here and address the particular pain point in this question that didn't get answered last week, 
or that wasn't in the question last week, so it wasn't addressed. This is the long goodbyes and mom's fear of leaving while her son is crying and how that might affect him long term or affect their relationship long term. So the short term answer, short term, the short answer is that this is not detrimental to leave so long as your child's in a safe place, of course, and it sounds like he's in a very safe place, even if your child is crying. The important things are these. Number one, like I shared in last episode, is to not sneak out to avoid the crying. That can be detrimental because it breaks down the trust. Now, I know Alan Nude's not doing this at all. I'm just putting that out there for the sometimes that's tempting to just, he's turned around, your child's back is turned, and you're like, okay, I'm just going to head out the door. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure they see you leave. They know you're leaving. You say goodbye. Number two. The important, a second important piece is you want to set a goodbye routine or ritual and then stick to it. Do your ritual or routine and leave. So if that's one hug, I'm going to give you a hug and say goodbye and leave. Give the hug, say goodbye and leave. Or if you say this is your last hug, give the last hug and leave. If he asks for another hug, I gave you your last hug. I understand that you're feeling a little sad right now, but I will be back to see you. And I know you're going to have a good time with your friends at school today as soon as you settle in. Make sure that you let your child see that you have confidence in the situation, that the teacher has it under control, that he's in a safe place, and that will also help him not to feel anxious. Because if you keep going back and hugging and saying goodbye and hugging and saying goodbye, that's going to ratchet up his anxiety even more. I also covered in the last episode some background about the slow transition process. This can be a nice answer for some families, depending on the rules of the daycare facility. Now, I don't know if Alan knew if that will even work for you because he's just transitioned to this room. So I understand he's been in this room for a while and you expect that he's going to start to warm up to that transition and it's just not happening. So I understand that and he's just having a little extra hard time. Also, one of the things I talked about in the last episode was about being one of the first kids there. Sometimes that can help. So maybe getting there earlier, having him be like the first or second kid in class may also help. So these are all new kids. Also, can the school assign a buddy? Does he have a friend or a buddy in the class? Because he moved to a new room. Is there a friend he's missing in his old class that he can visit with? How can they help facilitate, help him feel more comfortable in the new room, in his new environment, connect with the kids there, or you know, maybe facilitate throughout the day with one of his friends from his other class, something that can help him have someone to connect with. But I think a buddy in the new class would be great if he doesn't have one already. Now, if you want to know more about the slow transition, you want to go back and listen to last week's episode. In general, there are some positives to allowing your child to grapple with separation anxiety. And these are number one, setting boundaries. You know, your child is safe you know your child enjoys the play, the teacher, and the other kids, and the experiences once they transition away from the separation anxiety. And there are steps to the separation. There's four steps that every child will follow when they struggle with the separation each and every time, but they go through them very quickly, and then they move on to acceptance, and they move on to connecting with the new group into the classroom experience, their friends, their teacher. So you know that they're going through this transition and within 10, 15, 20 minutes, they're going to be fine. Of course they miss you or the idea of missing you when you're trying to leave. And that's a good thing. They have a good connection with you. That's positive. But so is learning to transition to a new environment and new people and discovering that those people are fun too. And they offer different connections and experiences than mom and dad can offer. Two, it gives your child the opportunity to practice coping skills 
Life is full of things that don't go our way. Learning to deal with those feelings of disappointment and then moving on to what we can do and what other great experiences await us once we can move beyond the disappointment is a really important life skill because there's amazing experiences out there for all of us once we get past the disappointment of something we thought was supposed to go a certain way. And I think, you know, for us adults who've been through this enough, we actually realize that so many more great experiences waiting for us once we get beyond that disappointment. And our children will learn the same thing and they'll learn it early in a safe environment with parents who love them, who give them a solid, loving goodbye, come back and pick them up at the end of the day, wrap them back up in their love when they take them home. So it's all really positive and a great way for them to learn this skill. So when you drop off your child and they're upset and crying, just know that you're giving them great opportunities to develop their play and their friendship skills, opportunity to struggle with and overcome disappointment in a very safe and nurturing environment. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than HomeThreads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. 
Okay, the next question is about siblings sharing a room. So this always adds an extra challenge to parenting during bedtimes or nighttime wake-ups or sometimes with an early morning wake up with one kid when you have another kid in the room. So, so Catherine wrote, Hi Erin, my husband and I have recently discovered your podcast and have learned so much already. We've only heard a few podcasts so far, so maybe you've covered my question already. If you have, I'd love to know which episode. If not, I'm desperate for your help. We have a three-year-old boy named Cash and a 19-month-old girl named Callie who currently sleep in separate rooms. However, we are moving at the end of the month and we'll have to put them in the same room. I'm not too worried about Cash because he's always been a great sleeper, but Callie still struggles with night wakings. I haven't been too worried about it because usually it's only once a night and we, and we can just take her a bottle of four ounces of milk and she'll drink and go back to sleep. It hasn't been that disruptive to my sleep, so I haven't bothered changing the routine. She'd even gotten to the point where she was sleeping through the night a few nights out of the week, so I figured she would just grow out of it. Now that I know she'll be sharing a room with her older brother, though, I've been trying to cut out the bottle. I've gradually decreased the amount of milk, but she either doesn't go back to sleep and cries or she wakes up again not too much later. She hasn't slept through the night since we've started weaning her, and she's waking up more often, even just crying for us to hand her her ducky, which is laying right next to her. On a side note, she's not a great eater, and I've noticed she's more dependent on the bottle when she doesn't eat a good dinner. So I've been trying to eliminate that problem by making sure she isn't hungry going to bed. We've been very consistent about our kids putting themselves to sleep, and Kelly has mastered this at bedtime and nap time without a bottle, but she struggles with it in the middle of the night. If she does not have her four ounces of milk, she begins to cry, and her cry turns into a wail. My husband will go in and talk to her, still in the crib. If I go in, it makes it worse every 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, then 30 minutes, etc., till she falls asleep. But I can't have her doing that when she's in the same room with her brother. They have shared a room occasionally on vacation, and they've done well falling asleep near each other, probably because we've always gotten them ready for bed together. But she obviously bothers him throughout the night. Even if we just give her a bottle of milk, Cash would sometimes wake up and ask for a drink or for us to stay. I've heard you suggest a binky, but I'm not sure she would take it. She stopped taking one when she was about six months, and I don't know if I should just continue giving her a bottle at night, hoping she'll grow out of it before we cause any sleep problems with cash. Any suggestions would be great. Thank you for all that you do. So this is definitely a common issue with many parents of infants and toddlers. We see the sleep progress. We see our kids progressing, sleeping longer and longer through the night, or finally getting themselves to sleep at night and at nap times. But those middle of the night wakings can be brutal because we're getting woken up and a lot of times out of a very deep sleep and we wanna do whatever we can to get them to go back to sleep as quickly as possible. So we resort to things like rocking, rubbing backs, bottles, nursing, whatever. And we hope and we expect that they'll grow out of this middle of the night wake ups before too long. Sometimes they do, sometimes it does happen, but the all too often truth is that whatever ritual we set up, often they're in that for the long haul until we decide it's time to break it. So that ritual, whatever it is, becomes their crutch or their sleep association. Now you may be wondering, why if it's their sleep association, is it only in the middle of the night? Why don't they need this at bedtime or nap time? The answer to that likely has something to do with what we call sleep pressure. At bedtime, sleep pressure is the strongest. This is when children are the most tired and they can more easily fall asleep on their own, unassisted, without any outside means. They've been awake all day, even if they've had a nap, they've had a little nap, but 
you know, they've been, haven't had that long sleep cycle since the middle of the night. So by the time it's bedtime, that's when that sleep pressure is strongest. So they easily may fall asleep at bedtime, but once that sleep pressure is relieved after several hours of sleep, that's when the sleep aid may be coming into play. So now that she's in this habit of taking the bottle, she's become reliant on that for falling back to sleep in the middle of the night when the sleep pressure is lighter. That is her assistant or her sleep association for when she's less tired. So I would recommend keeping this up and working towards getting rid of it. For most kids, after about four months of age, unless they were a preemie or have some other nutritional condition or concern, they don't need any nutrition during the middle of the night. Feeding becomes about comfort and it becomes about falling back to sleep. It becomes about the sleep association, that sucking to fall back to sleep. When babies are really young and you're working on the middle of the night, I recommend dream feeding, which is a feeding before they would normally wake up. So let's say the baby usually wakes up right about one o'clock in the morning. I did this with, uh, with my oldest son once we sleep trained him and then also with the twins. So if they normally wake up at 1 a.m., you set it for 1245 and you feed them at 1245. You don't wake them up, you quietly pick them up, you feed them, put them back to bed. And then you start pushing that out over time. So for anyone with young infants, four to nine months old, and if this is something that you want to get away from, these middle of the night wakings or middle of the night feedings, um, the class on infant sleep covers this and covers the exact steps because there's some, there's some really good steps to follow to wean away from middle of the night. But for Callie, since she's way past that age range for her and it's really about her learning to fall back to sleep in the middle of the night unaided, it's not about giving her that bit of nutrition in the middle of the night to hold her over or slowly backing her away and weaning her until her body has adapted and can sleep through the night. So this is a little bit of a different issue here. What I recommend is doing the middle of the night what you would do or what you had done at bedtime when you worked with her to fall asleep on her own at bedtime. So if she were, say, not falling asleep at bedtime on her own, what would you do? This is what you want to do in the middle of the night. Now, it's easier at bedtime because parents are awake, they haven't gone to sleep yet, so I get that. This is why we kind of fall into these patterns in the middle of the night because we're tired, we just want to get our kids back to sleep. But you want to follow through with that, take that time and that investment because it will pay off in getting your young children to sleep through the night. So there's several different methods to this and it sounds like maybe what's happening is there's some confusion. Um, there's bottle with less and less milk, a parent going in and staying, letting her cry it out. So what you wanna do is pick a method, follow it all the way through until she's at a point where she's putting herself back to sleep in the middle of the night unaided. So I'm gonna go through the three options. When I go through the three options, I think you might see where there was kind of a mix up between um, several different methods and why it might've been throwing her off so that you can get that pick one and get that nailed in, get that dialed in really tight and just follow that really strictly. So the first option, number one, completely ignore it. Don't go in at all. That's one option. Number two, go in and you can say nothing or you go in and just say a few words. You want to pick a phrase and say that only that phrase. It's bedtime or sleepy time or you know something really short, really simple, bedtime, go back to sleep sleepy time, touch her on the back or lay her back down in her crib if she's standing up 
and leave. You can go in up to every five minutes until she finally falls to sleep. So it sounds like your husband was doing this but waiting longer and longer in between, which is also fine. But if you're going to do this, you got to stick with this method. Also not talking to her. So you don't want to go in and talk to her and have a conversation that builds that connection. You want to make yourself as boring as possible. That's why you say nothing or it's bedtime or it's sleepy time, nighttime, something super short, super simple. Don't look her in the eye. One little pat on the back, one just lay her down in her crib. Be as boring as possible. You're letting her know I'm here, but it's bedtime. This is not the time to engage. It's not the time to look each other in the eye. It's not the time to have a conversation. It's not the time for me to come in and rub your back till you fall asleep. So you're being as boring as possible, but you're also letting her know that you're there for her. Now, with both of these methods, you should see a big improvement within three days and it should be completely solved within two weeks. The third method, which you were kind of doing a little bit of this too, is a parent going in and staying, but giving less and less attention and moving further and further away from the child over a period of two weeks to a month. There's a whole process to this. This is a little more um, involved method. So it's about how much and when to decrease the interaction, move away, and it, the level of interaction just from the beginning, and then moving away from that, as well as a physical distance of moving away while she learns to fall asleep on her own. So if this is the method you prefer, this is also in the infant and toddler sleep classes as well. Method one, the complete ignoring, is called the extinction method. Method two is called the mantra method. So for anyone wanting exact steps and details for those, for bedtimes, middle of the night, you can find the exact steps and handouts on the website, as well as the third method of the gradual extinct, we call it the gradual extinction method, which is kind of pulling yourself away from the child slowly, removing yourself from their sleep process, their falling asleep process. So the biggest lesson here is that consistency is the key. You want to choose a method, you want to follow the steps to a T. Otherwise, it actually can make things worse. The infant or toddler just gets more persistent in trying to get what they want because they're getting this reaction one time and this reaction another time. So they're just going to keep pushing and they're actually going to push harder. Especially if you try one for a couple of days and then you give in or you change methods, choose one, stick with it, set up a new consistent pattern of interaction, behavior, and boundaries. And it'll take that short bit of time for babies and children to understand that oh, this is how we're going to do this now. Okay, like we're really sticking with this. This isn't just a test. I get it. Before they will fully accept it. So depending on how long it's been a habit also is the longer you'll have to be consistent before they begin to accept the new behavior pattern. So if this is something that's been going on for like a year, it could take a little bit more time to get this um, to get this pattern down. If it's only been a month, it shouldn't take too long at all. Again, if you're interested in the parent chats on the weekends and you're a member, send an email to amy at yourvillageonline.com. Make sure you get added to that. Also, I record those and I put them up on the site for the parents who can't make each and every time that we do them. They're recorded and put up so you can watch them on your own time or listen. If you're not a member and you're interested in that or the classes, you can go to yourvillageonline.com and join and then send an email to amy at yourvillageonline.com to get added to the Facebook group. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. And as always, if you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening. And 
I plan to see you next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.